As you're sitting down, why don't you pull out your Bible and the listening guide you received on the way in, maybe a pen or a pencil, some, some to write some things down so you might remember them later. Turn to Hebrews chapter 10. How do you know if you're at a good church? I mean, I mean not this morning. <laughs> How do you know if you're at a good church? I hear consistently from people, we just moved to Houston and we're looking for a good church or the church we were at started to make some decisions that we couldn't get on board with, and so now we're searching for a good church. But how do you know if you're at a good church? Our next passage in Hebrews, I think, answers that question for us. It says in verse 23, Let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm, for God can be trusted to keep his promise. Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works, And let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. As you see in your listening guide, there are four signs that you are at a good church. Number one, we hope in Jesus our Lord. We hope in Jesus our Lord. It says in verse 23, let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm, for God can be trusted to keep his promise. Your translation of the Bible may say the confession of our hope. And the very first Christians had a confession that they affirmed every time that they gathered together. And that was Jesus is Lord. That was their motto, their catchphrase, their anthem, their rallying cry. They would proclaim it and affirm it to one another. Jesus is Lord. And that statement was confrontational. It was confrontational to Jewish people because they believed that Lord was a title that should be only used for God. And you remember the religious leaders of Israel wanted Jesus crucified because they accused him of blasphemy. He was saying things about himself that they believed were only true about God. And now his followers, after his resurrection and ascension, have taken a blasphemy and made it their statement of faith. Jesus is Lord. It was also confrontational to the Roman community around them. See, in the Roman Empire, Caesar was Lord. All of the Caesars were worshipped as gods. Some leaned into it more than others. Uh, Domitian, in fact, ruling in the 80s, made statues of himself and sent them all out throughout the Roman Empire to give people an opportunity to worship him. Some Bible scholars believe that the reason that the Apostle, Paul, uh, Apostle John ended up on the island of Patmos, a prison island, was because he refused to worship the statue of Domitian in his community. So when they say Jesus is Lord... It was a statement against Caesar, but it was their anthem. And if it was their anthem and their confession of hope, then it needs to be ours as well. Jesus is Lord. Now, you might be surprised to know that it's very easy for a church to have other lords besides Jesus. Um, All good things happens very subtly. Like, for example, friendship is Lord at a church. I mean, friendship's... uh, are very important in the life of a church. They, they make things rich and beautiful and diverse. Um, and it would be very easy for those friendships and relationships to become the reason that we come. I mean, have you ever texted somebody on a Saturday night and said, hey, are you going to be there tomorrow? And they said no, and you're like, well, maybe I won't go. Right? It doesn't matter if Jesus is going to be there on Sunday morning. If that person is not going to be there, it just doesn't sound quite as much, uh, as, quite as much fun. And it's easy for a good thing like friendships to become the Lord of a church or knowledge is Lord. 
We could put so much emphasis, and rightly so, on studying the Scripture, knowing God, knowing theology. Again, all good things, but not good if it bumps out the best thing and knowledge becomes Lord instead of Jesus becoming Lord. Right? Sometimes at some churches, uh, pastor is Lord. It happens. The pastor gets the best possible parking space, always up front in a place of honor. We don't say things like, thus saith the Lord. We just assume that the pastor has gone into his prayer closet somewhere and God has spoken to him and then he comes out and speaks to all of us regular people. And whatever he says, it's like God himself saying it. Pastor is Lord. I'm thankful here at Bayou City we have an incredible pastoral staff that don't, they don't need me to go into my closet to hear from God on their behalf. They do that on their own and they lead with wisdom and discretion and skill. I'm thankful for a, a group of elders who love this church and pray for this church and think about this church and, and lead it in a way that would honor God. I'm thankful for hundreds of leaders in our church who are prayerful, are skilled, empowered to do the things that God has asked them to do. At, at some churches, pastor is Lord may be a good idea, but at this church, that's a very, very bad idea. We are in trouble if that happens. Unbelievers are Lord at some churches. We get so focused on the mission that Jesus has put in our hands to go and make more disciples that we end up orienting everything we do around people who don't believe in Jesus yet. And sometimes... We make them the center of everything instead of Jesus the center of everything. And finally, amenities are Lord. That can happen very easily at a church. In order to win us to the church, the church builds for us not just things that meet our spiritual needs, but things that entertain us as well. And we go to that church because they have the good stuff, the medicine, and they have the fun stuff. The problem is, you know, we are never satisfied with good. Whenever we have good, we need something better. Those churches that win us with amenities and comfort, they end up having to do more to comfort us and entertain us to keep us. And sometimes it's easy for those things to replace Jesus. Jesus is Lord. That's the hope that we affirm. Because it says God is able to keep his promise. All of the promises that God has made to us are available to us because Jesus is Lord. I mean, even thinking back through some of the promises that God has made in this one book of Hebrews, in the last few chapters, we've been promised forgiveness. We've been promised a clean conscience. We've been promised a covenant with God. We've been promised a personal relationship with God where we have access to him directly. We don't need anybody to stand in for us. All of that is available to us because Jesus is Lord, and we're supposed to hold tightly to that. I've only been a best man one time in my life. That shows you what kind of friend I am. <laughs> I was thinking this morning, the most nervous that I've been in my whole life was, in, was, in, was when that groom put that bride's ring in my hand and said, hold this during the ceremony. I was nervous for a few reasons. Number one, at the time, I was fairly certain the bride could beat me up if I lost it. Right? Not anymore. I've been working out, obviously. <laughs> No, that's a lie. I've not been to a gym in years. <laughs> I was also nervous because uh, there were a lot of people at this wedding, and it was a pretty classy thing, and I didn't want to be digging through my pockets and have a look of panic on my face in front of all of these people. And the third reason I was nervous is because that ring was very expensive. I was uh, making $12,000 a year, 
that ring was like four times what my bank account must have been. And I knew if I lost it, I would have to make the empty gesture of offering to pay for it and replace it. And that would have been impossible. Not even Visa would have loaned me the money to pay for that ring. So what I did was when he gave me the ring, I just didn't put it in my pocket. If you've ever worn a tuxedo, you know, that's not a safe place for it. The pockets are, they're loose. They're not like a pair of jeans. Things can fall out easily. So I put the ring in my hand and then I put my hand in the pocket and I never let go of it until he turned and asked for it. Because when there's a lot at stake, you hold on to something tightly. Everything is at stake in a church when it comes to Jesus as Lord, because if you have everything, but you don't have that, you have nothing. So we hold on tightly to the hope that we have in Jesus, our Lord. Number two, we motivate each other to act. That's how you know you're at a good church. Verse 24, let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. When Jesus is Lord, acts done in his name come natural. That's why there are four gospels dedicated to the life, the teaching, the death, resurrection, ascension of Jesus. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And after that comes the book of Acts, the Acts of the Apostles. When there's focus on Jesus, acting comes natural. Even here at Bayou City, there are three statements that mean the most to us here. They drive us into the future. Number one, we want to be a church with a laser focus on Jesus. Number two, we want to serve the city and we want to serve the world. When Jesus is Lord and there's attention given to that, acting in his name comes natural. And God is serious about this, these acts of love and good works that we're supposed to do. That's why he gives us spiritual leaders. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. It says, Now these are the gifts that Christ gave to the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors and teachers. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church, the body of Christ. Your spiritual leaders are not your proxy to good works. You don't have spiritual leaders and pastors and ministers so that they can be doing the good works while you go to work, your regular job. A, a pastor's job, a minister's job is to not do those works, but to help you do the works, to motivate you, to stir you up, and then to equip you so that when you serve people in Jesus' name, you do it with confidence and competence. Their job is to build us up, to give us what we need so that we can do these acts of love and good works that Hebrews mentions. And when it says that we should motivate one another, it, it literally means we should incite one another. We should provoke one another. These are negative words, but it shows the strength of what should be happening in the church. We should be stirring one another up, provoking good works out of each other. We see this happening, a living example in Acts chapter 4. These very first Christians... In verse 32, all the believers were united in heart and mind, and they felt that what they owned was not their own, so they shared everything they had. The apostles testified powerfully to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and God's great blessing was upon them all. There was no needy people among them, because those who owned land or houses would sell them and bring the money to the apostles to give to those in need. For instance, there was Joseph, the one the apostles nicknamed Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. He was from the tribe of Levi and came from the island of Cyprus. He sold a field he owned and brought the money to the apostles. 
So there's this movement of radical generosity among these first Christians. People are selling what they have, land, homes, giving the money to the church so that the church can make sure that there's no one poor among them who is in need. Now, even the most spiritual of us would have a hard time doing that, selling our home and giving it to the church to make sure there was no one living in poverty inside the church. This only happens when a community is provoking one another, encouraging one another, inciting one another to this level of radical generosity. And this passage shows us how we should measure ourselves, how we know we're being effective See, we don't count attendance, we count missionaries. We don't ask how many people came, we ask how many people are serving. We don't say how many people did we gain, we're asking how many people did we send. This is how you know you're at a good church. It's not about the coming, it's about the going. Number three, I'm at a good church when we consistently gather. Verse 25. And let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. Now, I'm going to be honest. It's easier to not come than it is to come. I mean, you're like, no, duh. We have to do this every week. It's easier to not be involved than it is to be involved. And I know that there are lots of Sunday mornings during the year that you wake up and you think, if I go to church, I'll be fine. If I don't go to church, I'll be fine. And I remember what that felt like because before we started Bayou City six years ago, I was just a regular member of a church. It, you know, it feels a little disingenuous for a pastor to tell you that you have to come to church. You know, it's like, I have to be here. You might as well have to be here too, you know. But before I was doing this, I was just a regular person. I didn't have a pastoral role. I didn't have any Sunday morning responsibility. And I remember waking up and thinking to myself, I'm going to be fine. My faith is going to be fine whether I go to church or I don't go to church. And maybe you felt that way. Maybe you feel that way consistently. I mean, I can hear sermons on the Internet. I can find most of these songs that we're singing on the Internet somewhere. I can pretty much do everything that I do at church alone at home. And sometimes you wake up in the morning on Sunday and you're like, you know what God really wants from me? God wants me to Sabbath, which means I'm going to sleep in this morning. You know? <laughs> I feel fine. I feel fine. My faith is fine. First of all, it's kind of a dangerous assumption for us to make. Because you know? you're fine up until the point that you're not fine. Right? Fine never sends a warning out ahead of time. It says I'm almost over. Second, let, but let's assume that you, you are fine and your faith would be fine whether you came today or not. I promise you there's someone sitting here right now, in fact, a, a bunch of somebodies who are not fine. Their faith is not fine. They're disappointed with God right now. They came to church, but they're frustrated with him. They're hurt by him in their mind. There's some people who have always believed, but they're maybe like, maybe I don't believe. There's, there's people here who are lonely and they've come and said, this is my last, I'm going to give it one more go. And maybe something will happen today at church. There are lots of people here today who are not fine. And if you are, maybe God is going to use you for them. 
couple of weeks ago, I was in the middle of worship here, and three rows ahead of me was somebody who had experienced major loss in the last few weeks, like the kind of loss that all of us dread. They got one of those phone calls that all of us fear. And there they were, with their hands lifted, singing songs of trust and hope and faith. And it moved me and it inspired me because I want a faith like that. I don't want a faith that just is skiing the mountaintops. I want a faith that can walk through the valley of the shadow of death and come out on the other side into those greener pastures. And watching them worship in the midst of their loss, it meant something to me. And I wonder how God has already used you today in the life of somebody who is not fine. What would it be like if we stopped coming to church for us and we started coming to church for other people? So I want to ask you to make a commitment, a commitment towards spiritual growth for 2018. What if you just embraced this idea sitting here right now? If I am in Houston, then I am in God's house. When Sunday comes around, I'm making the decision right now. If I am in Houston, then I am here in God's house. You didn't wait to wake up in the morning and see how the weather is. Oh, it's foggy. Better sleep in. Or it's too beautiful. Man, can't waste this day at church. You know? <laughs> what if you just decided now? I know it's sports season. It's getting ready to come up on us and all of that. You say, well, I totally would. But baseball. We have an 8.15 service that starts super early in the morning every Sunday. <laughs> you come to church. Then you go to baseball. You're like, nah, baseball is early for my kids. We got to be at the... Field at 7.30. It's great. At our other campus, 22 minutes away. I've driven it many times. We have a 5 o'clock service. You do baseball in the morning, and then you come to God's house in the evening. What if you just made that decision right now? If I'm in Houston, then I am in God's house. Not because I'm needing it that day, but because maybe somebody else is needing me that day. You know you're at a good church when the church is gathering. But if you're not here... Do we get to count it? I'm not sure that we do. Next, we encourage each other towards the finish line. That's how you know you're at a good church. The second half of verse 25, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. Now remember, Jesus promised his disciples as he was ascending into heaven that he would return back to earth. The author of Hebrews is reminding us of that, that Jesus is returning. Now, it's been almost 2,000 years since the author of Hebrews wrote this, inspired by the Holy Spirit. To be more exact, it's been 1,948 years, give or take a few years. So it would be easy for us to just dismiss that today and say, you know, people have always believed that Jesus is going to return, and yet he's not here, and so it's out of our mind. But 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 22 says, that when Jesus returns, he's going to return like a thief in the night. Everything's going to be normal, and then he's going to be here. A couple of weeks ago, I walked my daughter Annabeth to the bus stop. And when we got there, we were with all the parents and all the kids, just like a normal morning. And we looked across the street, and there's a truck in the driveway that's always there every morning. And it was there. It just didn't have any wheels and tires, just laying on the ground. Because literally a thief in the night had come and stolen the wheels and tires. And it was a little jarring. And we had heard rumors that 
people were doing this in our neighborhood, but it's one thing for it to be happening somewhere else. It's another thing for it to happen where you can see it. And it was unsettling because I'm sure they went to bed that night and everything was normal. Just like the day before at the bus stop, it was normal. But a thief came in the middle of the night and that's what it will be like when Jesus returns. Everything is normal. We're just going about our normal business and then he'll be here. Now, I'm going to be honest. I used to think that people who looked forward to Jesus' return were just weird and living a sad life. Right? Uh, Because I thought the goal was to just make the most of this life that we have right here in front of us. And then whatever eternal life was going to be like, that was just like bonus. You know, it was blessing. It's a cherry on top. And it makes sense why we start to think like that. Because, you know, when the scripture talks about eternal life, sometimes it can be vague and cloudy and unclear. And it's hard to understand and wrap our minds around. But the life that we have right near, we can see it, we can touch it, we know what our schedule is today, we probably know what our schedule is like tomorrow. And so it makes sense how we ended up investing a lot in this life and then whatever we get in the life to come is just, well, it's just bonus. Right? But the more that I've gotten to know Jesus personally, as weird and religious as that sounds, more intentionally in prayer and study of scripture and in listening for the voice of God, through the Spirit of God in my life, the more I'm like, okay, I, I get it. I get it. The Apostle Paul got it. He was actively looking forward to Jesus' return. This is what he wrote in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 6. As for me, my life has already been poured out as an offering to God. And the time of my death is near. I fought the good fight. I finished the race and I have remained faithful. And now the prize awaits me crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on the day of his return. And the prize is not just for me, but for all who eagerly look forward to his appearing. Revelation chapter 19 gives us just a little taste of what Jesus' return is going to be like. Chapter 19, verse 11. Then I saw heaven opened and a white horse was standing there. Its rider was named Faithful and True, for he judges fairly and wages a righteous war. His eyes were like flames of fire, and on his head were many crowns. A name was written on him that no one understood except himself. He wore a robe dipped in blood, and his title was the Word of God. And the armies of heaven, dressed in the finest of pure white linen, followed him on white horses. From his mouth came a sharp sword to strike down the nations and he will rule them with an iron rod and he will release the fierce wrath of God the Almighty like juice flowing from a wine press. And on his robe at his thigh was written this title, King of all kings and Lord of all lords. Uh, In November, I took Jackson to see uh, the new Thor movie. We like to do that. We like to go see those comic book movies. And so I got online, make sure everything was age appropriate for him. He's getting ready to be 12. We went and saw it. And if you've seen one of those comic book movies, you've, you've pretty much seen them all. At the beginning, the hero is doing awesome. Could not possibly be doing better. And then the hero suffers and hits rock bottom and then is built up. And at the end is a huge confrontation with whatever bad guy that hero 
is fighting. And so we had journeyed along with Thor from the heights uh, down into the depths, and we're starting to be building back up. And then uh, there's this big confrontation with the, 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 bad, the bad guy. Then this Led Zeppelin song started to play. And I was like, oh, yeah. <laughs> like you feel like you're like blood pumping. And like I'm getting into it. And Thor like started getting like lightning in his eyes. And I started looking around. I'm like, are there any bad guys in this theater? Because I could totally take them right now. <laughs> I don't have a hammer, but I got something. It was awesome came this moment where he just just wasted the bad guy spoiler alert you know 99.999% of the time the heroes win at the end in these comic book movies and so we left the theater and of course I immediately got on my phone and we listened to the Led Zeppelin song the whole way home this blood pumping adrenaline flowing you know I'm a pastor and there's this rule that is in the pastoral handbook that they give you when you're born that uh, you have to take everything that happens in your real life and figure out what it means spiritually. It's kind of annoying, but it's just something that we have to do. So we're listening to that Led Zeppelin song on the way home and got all the Thor blood flowing. And uh, I started thinking about Revelation chapter 19 and how the movie that I just watched is one one billionth of a drop in the bucket of the way that we are going to feel when the heavens open and there Jesus is on this white horse. And we're going to go, oh yeah. Oh, I knew it. I knew he was real. I knew he was worth it. little verse tucked away in 1 John chapter 2 verse 28 it's one of those that you would miss if you were just reading through it it says that there's going to be some people that when the heavens are opened and Jesus returns they're not going to say oh yeah they're going to say oh no good church going people are going to say oh no 1 John says they're going to shrink back they're not going to lean forward and be excited they're going to be terrified they're going to say I missed it. I, I, I should have done more. I should have given more. I should have been more. I, I got stuck in normal and, and I served myself instead of serving other people. And I didn't know he was coming and I forgot. And I ended up giving to myself instead of giving to other people. There's going to be some people who say, oh, no. And here's a promise that I can make you today. I can promise you that Bayou City will never have the amenities that other churches can offer you. We'll never have as much money. We'll probably never have as nice as stuff. All of our property will be weird and eclectic. I can also promise you that I'm going to do everything in my power to make sure that when the heavens open and Jesus is there, you're able to say, oh, yeah, 
I was ready. And I wanted this. And I was praying for this. And this is what I was looking forward to. And I wasn't perfect. But the rider on that horse is faithful and true. And he's forgiven me of my sin. And I gave all I have. And I held nothing back from me. And I served everybody that he put in front of me. And at our church, we're going to gather on Sundays. And we're going to encourage one another. Not just, hey, how are you doing? I hope you are well. But we can believe for another seven days. We can serve for another seven days. And then we'll meet back here next week. And we'll look each other in the eye again. And we'll open up the word of God. And we'll pray our prayers to God. And we'll sing our songs of trust and God's goodness. And we'll look around and go, I'll believe another seven days. And then we'll text each other during the week. Say, I don't know if I can make it till Sunday. And we'll encourage one another then. Because the heavens are going to open up. And we are not going to be the people who shrink back. We're going to be the people who say, oh, yeah. That's how you know you're at a good church. Because a good church makes you look forward to that day. And helps you be ready for it. Jesus, today, even right now, would be the perfect time for the heavens to open. Whether our life is great right now or it's hard right now, whether we are fine or we are not fine, today would be the best day for your return. But if not, we're going to motivate one another to be acting and serving and loving in your name. And we're going to be in your house. And we're going to be proclaiming that there is one Lord whose name is above every name, faithful and true, the word of God, the king of every king and the Lord of all lords. Why don't you ask God directly, God, what are you speaking to me today? How are you leading me this morning? God, help us to follow through. In Jesus' name.